0: You're listening to Cross-Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Our theme verse for this very short sermon series, last week and this week, and then, and then done, is Colossians 3, and verse 17. Um, if you would, would you stand and let's, let's read this verse together. Go ahead and stand, stretch for a second if you like. And let's read together Colossians 3, verse 17. We'll read through it twice. Right there up on the screen. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's read it once more. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we began this two-part lesson series with the story of Boaz. And Ruth on what began as just another day on the farm. And we talked about the thrill of serving God on perfectly normal days. How God takes our service in everyday, tedious, mundane routines of daily life and builds them into beautiful lives, honorable and blessed by God. Colossians 3 verse 17 was our theme verse that day and is again today. This call to devote everything we do to God, to do everything in Jesus' name. Now that can be difficult because sometimes we get caught up in in our day and it's, it's tough to remember that we're trying to serve God today or at this moment. But I wonder if sometimes it might be easier to really do everything in the name of Jesus if we could just see the end from the beginning. You know, if we had a a time machine, and we could jump in our time machine and just zip ahead and see the results of all our daily efforts, it might help us keep our our focus better from day to day. Like if you've ever worked for a boss you didn't like, and it was just so hard to work for this person uh, for Jesus' sake, because What's the point? Is this person ever going to change? What if you could jump in the time machine, zip ahead a few years, and see that your hard work, your devotion to God, turned this other person's life around, won them over over time, and make it easier to, to work with them? Are, are any of you raising children at the moment? So if you're raising children, you know, wouldn't it be easier to make all those hard decisions you have to make about how to raise your kids if you could just jump into your time machine, zip forward a few years, a couple decades, and see how your decisions affected them. Then you could come back and change and make sure you had the right decision. Or all the daily grind of raising kids, you know, the diapers, the three meals a day. It's funny how the kids always want to eat every day, you know. The disciplining, the scheduling of all their activities as they get older, wouldn't that all be easier if every once in a while we could just jump in the time machine and fast forward to grandparenting? I hear that that makes it all worthwhile. I haven't been there yet. That's what I hear. Helping the poor. Wouldn't it be easier to be diligent about helping folks in need if we could just set that time machine to whisk us ahead to the judgment day? And see ourselves standing before the great throne of Jesus. And hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. Wouldn't that make it easier today? It could be so much easier to serve God in everything we do. To be godly in all our daily tasks. Just the regular daily tasks that we go about every day if only we could see the end result from the beginning but we can't God can he can see the beginning and the end but we can't God has not given us that ability and the thought strikes me that it's the same it's it was the same for faithful people across the ages people we read about in scripture people like the patriarch Joseph and the prophet Daniel the generous Christian Tabitha and the highly honored widows of 1 Timothy chapter 5. They didn't have a time machine either. None of them could see how things would turn out for them, but we will see how things turned out for them. We're going to read about them in just a minute. They devoted themselves to simple daily godliness in whatever God gave them to do, and let's look at how things turned out for them. We're going to start with Joseph. We're going to take about almost half of our time on Joseph because his story is it's kind of long, and then we'll go a little faster through Daniel and then pretty quickly through Tabitha and even faster through the widows in First Timothy 5, so we'll speed up as we go, but let's start by looking at the life of Joseph. Jump in the time machine with me, and let's fly back almost 4,000 years to around 1900 B.C., give or take. In the land of Canaan, which would later be known as the land of Israel. Joseph, grandson of Abraham, was 17 years old. He was number 11 of 12 sons. And his 10 older brothers hated him because, A, he was their father's favorite, and B, he was cocky about it. And they hated him so much that they kidnapped him one day and sold him into slavery. Now, a lot of people being sold into slavery would have given up on God right then. Like, God obviously doesn't love me. We have no more connection. But, but not Joseph. Joseph hung in there with God. Zip ahead in time about 10 or 11 years. And Joseph, now a slave in Egypt for a decade, has been faithful to God. And for a slave, he's actually doing pretty well. Let's read a little about him, starting in Genesis 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. For 10 or 11 years... Joseph was a slave. Think about what life might have been like for him. Whether he liked his master or not, he had to serve him. Quitting his job, getting a different supervisor was not an option. He had to adapt to a new language and new customs. Living in Egypt, that's never easy. If he didn't like his work, tough. He had to do what he was ordered to do. If you've ever been stuck in a job that wasn't your favorite... Or if you had to work for someone you didn't like, you can relate to how hard it might have been for Joseph to be godly in everything he did. Some days, that's just really hard. But even though his situation was so unjust, so unfair... So not what he wanted for his life. In everything he was given to do, Joseph devoted himself to God. He did excellent work, and he kept his relationship with God strong. The Lord is mentioned five times in these verses we just read. The Lord was with Joseph. He gave Joseph success in everything he did. He blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Joseph was serving God daily, even in a difficult situation. Whatever he had to do that day. And God was blessing him. Let's move a little further ahead in time in our time machine. And one day, Joseph was framed for doing something he had not done at all. But he was framed and he was thrown into prison unjustly. He went from being a slave of high status to a prisoner in a day. But even in the prison... Joseph served God and worked hard at whatever he was given to do. Genesis 39, now verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, you can serve God in prison. Some people go to prison and become Christians there and serve God during their time there. Others, In some countries, are thrown into prison because of their faith in Jesus. And they continue to serve God faithfully in prison. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And as Joseph served the Lord, and the Lord gave Joseph success in his responsibilities there in the prison, the warden came to trust Joseph. He put Joseph in charge of the whole prison, didn't worry about anything that Joseph was in charge of. When we do everything for the honor of God, whatever God gives us to do, even if we don't like it, God blesses our work. Joseph was faithful to God in all he did, day after day, the work he enjoyed and the work he didn't. Let's skip ahead in our time machine again, just a few years. God used Joseph to predict a terrible famine that was coming upon Egypt and the surrounding countries. And Pharaoh released Joseph from prison and put him in charge of making preparations for this famine, made him the second highest ruler in Egypt in order to give him authority to make preparations. Joseph had been a slave or a prisoner for 13 long years, but he had been faithful to God through it all. And now God exalted him. This is Genesis 41 and verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. We'll skip down a few verses to verse 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. You know, if Joseph could have seen the end from the beginning could have seen from the start how God would exalt him after 13 long years of slavery and prison. I imagine it would have been easier for him to work hard at all his tasks for those 13 years, knowing something better was coming. Yet even though he couldn't see the future, he was faithful to God anyway. He was godly in all he did, as a slave or as a prisoner. And it turns out that though he didn't know it, All that time that he was in prison, all that time he was a slave, God was training him, equipping him, preparing him in administration and in how to lead people. God put him in charge of Potiphar's estate when he was just a slave. God put him in charge of the prison when he was a prisoner. God was preparing him for being the second highest ruler of Egypt so that he could save people from the famine that was coming. Now, what if Joseph, in slavery or in prison... Just said, you know, what's the point? And had given up on God and turned lazy, self-centered, negligent in his duties, would he still have been fit for the work God had in mind for him to do in the future? And I would suggest to you that the cumulative effect of our everyday godliness as we do whatever God gives us to do, even when we don't like our situation, even when it's so hard, is that we put ourselves in a position for God to use us however he pleases, knowing that we will be faithful in that position. Because as Jesus said, whoever is faithful in a few things will also be faithful in many things. We have to be faithful in the smaller things before God will entrust to us the greater things. We have to be faithful in the trivial things and the mundane things of life. So the cumulative effect of everyday godliness is that we allow God to train us today for whatever work he has in mind for us to do in the future. Let's climb back into our time machine and jump forward not quite 1,300 years to the time of the prophet Daniel. and We'll speed up just a little bit as we go. In 605 BC, Daniel was a young Israelite, probably a teenager, when the army of the Babylonian Empire invaded Judah, the southern part of Israel. And Daniel was captured and taken away to Babylon. It was a terrible entry into adult life for a young man. Here's what happened to him in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. Sorry, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 through verse 6. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning Young Daniel was forced into exile from his homeland. Then he was ripped away from family and most of his countrymen, taken into the king's palace and forced into training for service to the king of Babylon, regardless of whether he had other plans for his life, regardless of whether he had other dreams, regardless of whether he had a girl he liked. He was forced into a life of service to the king who had conquered his people and dragged many of them, including him, away into exile. Daniel and his Jewish companions received three years of training. Now, how do you serve God when you're under the authority of an ungodly government? Being taught by ungodly teachers and professors. Being prepared for a life of service that you did not volunteer for. In all of that, Daniel remained faithful to God, and he apparently worked hard in his studies because when the final exam came, he did brilliantly. Daniel chapter 1, verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus." Daniel was taken into exile in Babylon in 605 BC. He went through three years of training in Babylonian language and culture, so that brings us to 602 BC. And he apparently excelled in his studies. He served in the court of the king of Babylon until the first year of Cyrus. That was 539 BC. Daniel served in the court of the king. For 63 years. Not many of you who are retired can say you worked in the same job for 63 years. And in all that time, Daniel was faithful to God in all his work, in his character, in his conduct. In the stories we have about him in the Bible, he is honored highly for his wisdom from God, for his call for the kings of Babylon to humble themselves before the God of the Jews, the one true God, and for his exemplary role as a representative of God in a land where people did not know the God of the Jews. And late in his life, when Daniel was probably in his 80s, a new king saw how exceptional Daniel's integrity and skill were. This is Daniel 6 in verse 1, Daniel, at this point, is is probably in his early 80s. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent he had spent a lifetime being faithful to god serving the kingdom of babylon and now the kingdom of persia which had conquered babylon and he did so responsibly, effectively, doing excellent work. So much so that now the new king wants to make Daniel the second highest ruler in the land. And even, even those who want to discredit him, who don't want him to have that job, can find no fault in him. In fact, as the story goes on, the only fault they can find is that Daniel prays to his God three times every day. And so they get the king to pass a law that says you can't pray to anyone but the king for a while. And then they go and watch Daniel and they catch him praying to God again. And they have him thrown into the lion's den. And so what we just read is the opening to the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But God rescues Daniel and the king is amazed and he honors Daniel's God And I know if you're in a government job, it might be hard to serve sometimes when the government does things that do not please our God. And if you're getting your education and you have teachers or professors who are not godly, it can be hard as a Christian to work with them. But look at how Daniel handled himself. For 63 years, he was faithful in all his studies and all his work every day, never corrupt or negligent always trustworthy, always devoted to God above all. And the end result was a life that brought great honor to God among the Jewish people and even among the Babylonians. Daniel didn't have a time machine. When he was captured by the Babylonians and was dragged away into exile, he couldn't see why God was letting this happen. But he was just faithful in all he did. And if we will be faithful in our daily tasks, doing our work, working hard in our studies, holding to our faith even when we're surrounded by unbelievers, God will be honored in the end. And that's what we want most, is that God would be honored because we love him so much. The cumulative effect of everyday godliness is that our lives bring great honor to our God. Back in the time machine, jumping ahead now to the first century AD, to a few years after Jesus died and rose from the dead and the church began. The good news of Jesus is spreading, and the Apostle Peter is traveling to visit churches across Israel to teach and encourage them. And we read this in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. <clears throat> In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Both of those, by the way, mean deer, like uh, like the animal. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, They sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Tabitha did not have a time machine. She had no way to foresee that through her good deeds, the hearts of the church would be so touched that they would call out to God and God would perform a great miracle. And as that last line says, many people would believe in the Lord. She didn't know that was going to happen. She was just doing every day the good that God gave her to do. Verse 36 says she was always doing good and helping the poor. That's just who she was. That's the person she became as a follower of Jesus. When she died, look who was weeping for her and showing Peter all the robes and the other clothing that she had made. It was the widows. Maybe Tabitha was a widow herself. We don't know. Or maybe she had been making clothes to help the widows in the church. I wonder if Luke, the writer, might be hinting that one of the ways Tabitha helped the poor was by making clothes for them, including the widows. How long had she been doing this, serving the poor like this? We don't know. Sounds like maybe a long time. How many people had she helped over the years? Again, we have no idea, but it sounds like she touched a lot of lives. She had not done anything flashy. She just helped people one day after another. Always doing good and helping the poor. She didn't know God would raise her from the dead. And through that miracle, many people would believe in Jesus. She was just doing whatever good God gave her to do. But the cumulative effect of daily godliness, every day, one day after the next, is that many people are blessed. We can't see it at the beginning, but when you get to the end and look back, it's obvious. What has God given you to do today, and maybe tomorrow. What normal, everyday good can you do for someone like Tabitha did? It's probably mostly little things. Like Joseph, when he was a slave, making sure his master's cattle were fed. Or like Daniel, checking the accounts to make sure the king's money was being used properly. Like Tabitha, stitching a seam on the sleeve of a robe being prepared for a widow in need. In the kingdom of God, little things like these add up. They add up to great lives lived in God's service, bringing him honor, blessing the people around us, making the world a better place, bringing us God's favor as we look ahead to his reward of eternal life. This is the cumulative effect of everyday godliness. So what can you do to be godly in normal, everyday ways tomorrow and this week? We can't see the future, but we can be faithful today. One last very quick trip in our time machine. Two or three decades after Tabitha's story, the Apostle Paul wrote this instruction to a younger minister, Timothy, who was leading... Uh, teaching in the church in the city of Ephesus. He writes about the kind of widow who is worthy of being supported by the church in her old age. He calls this the list of widows. Listen to the kind of life that Paul thinks the church should honor as exemplified by widows who qualify for this list. This is 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 9. Paul says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, Has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. This is the kind of widow Paul thinks has lived a life that makes her worthy of being on the list of widows that the church will support in their old age. A widow who is old enough to retire and who has been faithful to her husband. And then in verse 10, listen to what Paul thinks are signs of such a person's godliness. She needs to be well known for good deeds, such as, and then he gives us a list. First on his list, bringing up children. You who are raising or have raised children, all those diapers, all the owies you fixed, All those sleepless nights as you tried to figure out what your children needed and whether you had the strength to provide it. All those sleepless nights when your children are adults and you you stay up praying for them because you're concerned for them. All your work in raising your children is important to God. It matters to Him. People who raise up children are doing godly work every day. Do not be discouraged in that good work. It's hard some days, and when the kids are little, they have no way to understand the burden that their parents bear because they love them. But God sees it, and God and his church honor those who work hard to raise children in the Lord. Next on Paul's list, showing hospitality, opening your home to others caring about strangers this is good work in god's sight sharing the love of jesus by sharing your life next on his list washing the feet of the lord's people and i think paul is using this image metaphorically it doesn't mean it has to be done literally but metaphorically meaning serving the church in a variety of humble ways when you serve god's people day by day you build a life that god and his church honor <clears throat> And these widows, you know, they weren't elders in the church. They weren't deacons. They probably didn't have any official position. They just served the church humbly over the years, and God and His church noticed. Next on the list, helping those in trouble, being there for the teenager who's lost her way, helping the person out of a job find work, caring for the sick. Helping a sinner find forgiveness, visiting the lonely, feeding the hungry, and clothing those in need. Just helping people. This is everyday godliness. And finally, Paul says, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. This is sort of the catch-all. She just spends her life doing what is good, whatever God gives her to do. This is what makes a widow worthy of being supported by the church In her old age, this is how she's lived. And so these widows, they were like Tabitha. They were like Daniel. They were like Joseph. Every day, these men and women of God devoted themselves to godliness in everything God gave them to do, whether they were married or single, slave or free or in prison. The poor, they ruled a nation, they raised children, They sewed clothes. They abstained from corruption and negligence. They were hospitable. They prayed. They served the church. What God looks for in our lives is not that we would necessarily accomplish grand feats that change the world, although those can be good too, but that we would simply be faithful every day in all the little things God has given us to do. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. From diapers to thrones, from praying to feeding the hungry, from working hard to keeping ourselves free from sin. This is how we build a life that pleases our God, that honors him. That's the cumulative effect of everyday godliness. We can't see the end from the beginning, but we can see that God is always faithful when we are faithful to him. He will help us, he will bless us along the way, and in the end, he will reward us with eternal life. May God bless you as you serve him today and this week in all the little ways. And now let's bow together and let's pray. Our dear God, thank you for calling us into your service. Thank you for giving us the responsibility to share in your good work of blessing the world. Lord, as, as we go about our day today, as we go about our day tomorrow and all this week and then the days after that, until Jesus comes again, Lord, bless us and help us to serve you faithfully. Bless us so that in all the little things, Lord, we will work diligently to bring you honor. Help us to do the good that you give us opportunity to do. Lord, help us not to miss those opportunities. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for Jesus who gave his life uh, and died for us so that we might uh, be able to walk with you both now and forever. Lord, help us to live like him with the same faithfulness because we are so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.